All right, let's get going. This is episode 65 of Utah in the Weeds, the big 6-5, Tim. How long have we been doing this? About a year, a year and, and a half. About a year and a half now. Right? So episode 65, it is Independence Day coming up. Happy 4th of July to everybody from Utah in the Weeds. Yeah, there's parades going on this year and fireworks, so get out and enjoy it. And don't burn down, you know, the mountain. Don't use a flame to burn down the mountain, right? Maybe (laughs) the flame law in Utah was a good thing because now we're in a drought. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who's on the podcast today? Vanessa Nielsen. This is a heck of a story on the uh, podcast today, Tim. Yeah, this this is a serious one. I was fascinated with the conversation with her. She is somebody who suffered from breast cancer, has history beyond that. A PTSD history. A PTSD yeah. history, and but has been a longtime cannabis user. And I like the evolution of her story with cannabis and how she was using it and learning so much more about cannabis. This is good for people to hear because she's somebody who grew up here right and people didn't know that she was using cannabis that's right it's great for people to talk about and she feels much more comfortable about it this it's just a good conversation i'm excited to have people listen we're going to be going on a new podcast schedule uh for releases typically we release every friday at 4 20 a.m for the summer at least we're going to go to an every other week yep it's been exciting that all the pharmacies have been coming open and we've been talking to so many people. And I think this will be good for us to to do an every other week schedule for a little while. I think it'll allow listeners to kind of even catch up with some of the back episodes. It will uh, allow Tim and I to get out a little bit more because I don't know about you, but last year I didn't really have much of a summer. So this year I'm getting out and and going to enjoy things a little bit more. Going on a couple of trips. So it'll give us a little bit more freedom and hope everybody, uh, you know, just know we're we're still here. Just going to be Great episodes every other week for a little while, at least. UtahMarijuana.org. Go spend a lot of time there because, I mean, you can go to slash podcast, obviously, and listen to the old podcast like Tim was mentioning. But there's a lot of other articles on there, too, and a lot of other valuable information that could consume your time on those off weeks, right? That's right. There's uh, there's 64 other episodes to catch up on. Exactly. And so you've got your work cut out for you. <laughs> anyway, we're in every podcast app out there. So make sure you're subscribed, leave us a review. And uh, if you don't have anything else to say, Tim, let's get into that conversation with Vanessa because uh, this was a good one. I, I enjoyed it. So here we go. Uh, you got any plans for 4th of July? Just put my, tra- my studio in my trailer. Yeah. Why are you putting your studio in your trailer? I'm actually going on a year adventure, what calling the? it my healing journey. I bought a motorhome the beginning of April. It's a 36-footer and a 28-foot trailer, and I'm taking my art on the road. I do cannabis art. You're going on this healing journey because of, of your cancer? Yes. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in February of 2019, and I went through a lot of really radical treatment to get to where I am now. I'm no longer in my career. I've had to retire early until I am stable enough to go back to work. So that's been tough. So I'm going to take it on the road. I'm just going to go travel around the U.S. and see what happens. Do you have like a, like a goal in mind or? I do. <laughs> you have a kind of mapped out? A little bit, but I don't want to be on a timeline, time constraints, or we have to be here at a certain time. I just want to take it easy and just go and see and be one with nature, do my art and be with my dogs and my boyfriend and 
just enjoy things. Um, I had a really um, close call with death during my cancer treatments. So that has kind of shifted my world. Um, I was in the same career for 30 years. Can't go back to it. So now moving forward, it's what can I do now? Sure. So I do my art and I'm kind of hippie, kind of hood. So you're going to sell your art on the road, right? Yes. Hopefully. Hopefully. I see ideas. Yes. And it's not to make the money. It's just more to spread the awareness and yeah. cannabis. I mean, I don't do just cannabis art, but that is kind of my forte. And you have like a special Instagram or Facebook, right? For your art. How I can do. people, let's, let's start right there. Actually. It's Unique Nest Creations. Okay. Um, that was a name that my friends came up with. After they saw what I was doing and, you know, they're like, why don't you sell this stuff? And what I was doing was I was giving it away. <laughs> Every time I would make a piece, I would, someone would come to that piece. I'd think of their name. Oh. Um, my buddy, Brad Wheeler, did a great piece for him. And it just, it was just to share it because I was, you know, trying to fill my time with something that I could do when I couldn't do what I was normally doing. So take us back to February 2019, what's, what's life like at the time before you got diagnosed with cancer? Actually, prior to, um, I was working a lot of hours. Um, I, I raised my kids. Um, I have a daughter who jumped out right when I was diagnosed and was going to the U. So it was like, wow, okay. Everything shifted. I was working 12 hour days. I was really burned out. I was really stressed. And that diagnosis kind of took me sideways. Like I had plans as soon as our youngest turned 18, we were going to move to Oregon, buy a 20 acre uh, plot of land. And I wanted to commercially grow. And because I wasn't able to do anything about that in Utah, that was my go-to. We had an offer in on a property and as of my diagnosis in February, everything, the bottom fell out from my job. Um, This property up in Oregon, I mean, just everything imploded. How did it happen? Did you just go to a routine screening? No, I actually found it myself. Um, I've been very diligent. I lost my mom 16 years ago at the age of, she was 51, um, from the same breast cancer gene. Uh, Her sister also had it at 32. So when I found this particular lump, I was, I knew, I was mortified. I knew I went to the doctor and it all went really fast after that. Um, I didn't have any treatment prior to surgery. Uh, They wanted to do the surgery first. It had a pretty hefty growth rate. So that was concerning. I was uh, staged at a stage three, grade three, and a proliferation rate of 67%. So it was moving fast. Did you already know you had the gene? No. And the reason being is when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer um, 16 years ago, she was 50 when she was diagnosed. Um, Gene testing was so expensive back then. Um, They didn't offer what they offer now. You know, they didn't have the genetic companies coming forward and saying, hey, this family member's tested positive. We're going to offer the immediate family these free tests so that we can give them the awareness that they may need moving forward. So I didn't get tested. And there's, you know, misconceptions out there. I didn't really want to look at it because I watched what it did to my mother in 11 months. She was gone. I mean, it just took her out and she was healthy my whole life. So it was just, she got sick and died. At 50. At 50. So it was pretty traumatizing. So over the years, the mis- my misconception in my mind, I don't know if it was me trying to calm my own fears, but I thought that there was a genetic skip from generation to generation. 
And then I was worried about my daughter. But now that I've done all the research because it hit me, of course, then you really dive in and look at it. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty scary. How old were you when you were diagnosed? 49, 48. So you're doing self-exams all through really your whole life, probably just because of the fear. Yes. Well, right? I started getting mammograms early due to my mom's cancer, her being young, you know, what it was. So I was doing my mammograms faithfully. Um, I just hadn't gone in yet for that mammogram for 2019. And so when I found it, it was interesting because I had been so run down and just so exhausted. My immune system was shy. I didn't have the energy in the pickup that I had before. So for a couple of years, I was trying to figure out, I kept telling my doctor, there's something wrong. I can't quite put my finger on it. You know, it's, you know, little things here and there that would come up and I'd be like, these symptoms, what, why? I eat right. I exercise, you know, I work hard. It's not like I'm sedentary. And then all of a sudden, bingo, that came up and they said it could have been growing for two to five years or it could have been in my system ready to activate for two to five years before I actually found it. So that blew my mind. You know, maybe had I done some precursor work after my mom passed away, maybe I would have been in a better situation. Yeah, it's tough to say, right? So you go into treatment and surgery immediately. I went into surgery immediately and had a bilateral mastectomy. It was torturous to say the least. Very, um, and I had great doctors. I mean, they did wonders with me, you know, and I did fairly well. They were shocked. And they used to say, you're so optimistic. We don't get it. You come in here and you're all smiles and you're always kind to everybody and happy. And I'm like, what else are you going to be? I'm not going to lay down and die. Like, that's just me. So I had to do a lot of mind trickery through it to pull myself into a position where I could heal from it. I was scared to death I was going to die. I wasn't sure I was going to make it to the 11 month mark, which is where my mom had passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you're looking into the future and and thinking, well, I've seen this before. Yes. And I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. Terrified to lose my hair. My mom um, absolutely would not do chemo. She refused. Hers was stage four. Her rate of uh, recovery was so low that she just chose quantity over or quality over quantity. So she didn't do chemotherapy. She did radiation. But within that 11 months, just watching the cancer take over every possible portion of her body, you know, and the wasting away. And then, you know, they've come a long ways with surgery. I was, I told my doctor, I said, if I have anything of an experience like my mother had with this mastectomy, I don't know what I'll do. Like, I can't, I can't recover from that. So they were very conscious when we went in. And, you know, like I said, they did me well. I had a lot of great, doctors on my team. Um, but I think a lot of it had to do with the mind trickery that I would pull the meditation and cannabis use. Yeah. Talk to, did your mom have cannabis? She did not towards the end when she was immobile and not doing very well. I actually approached her about it. She's from the seventies, man. My parents were hippies. What can I say? They smoked weed back in the day, um, when I was a little kid. So she had kind of gone away from that in her career. And, but once I introduced it to her, she said, you know, this stuff's way too strong. Like it's <laughs> not what they had in the seventies. So it was hard for her, but it helped. It helped to ease some of her pain. And, 
you know, allow her to eat or be able to get out of bed and, you know, do different things that, you know, were okay the first six months. And then that last five months was absolutely not mobile. So you had cannabis throughout this whole period, right? You're, I mean, I love Chris's question. Usually he asks this question, take us back to the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Where it started, right? <laughs> um, actually my beginning with cannabis, um, I am an old soul. I've been probably 35 years and it was introduced to me by cousins that were a little bit older and, you know, back then it was here and there and it was kind of a, you know, but over the years, um, I did have some tragedies happen. I lost my husband to a drunk driver and I think that that is probably when my heavy consumption really started. It was to numb it and deal with it without antidepressants or, you know, they wanted to load me up on Valium and Xanax so I wouldn't feel. The thing is, is I just needed to numb enough and to be able to cope and do my job and get through life. You know, I can't take Xanax and just have everything stop. So I used a lot of cannabis and it got me through. Um, it helped me emotionally. Um, I had a little bit of PTSD from it, from his accident and different things that had come up. So it helped. And over the years, it always helped. So I, you know, I've never been one to take pain pills. I've never been able to take pain pills. So my go-to versus a Xanax or pills or antidepressants has always been cannabis. Did you grow up here in Utah? I did. So, but you, so you've been <laughs> consuming here in Utah then for 30 plus years. Absolutely. Yes. And that is hard for me to admit. Um, a well, lot of people know me. Nothing uh, wrong with that, though. Right. I mean, I think a lot like more people are coming out and talking about it and being open about it. Yeah. I mean, we talk to people all the time who grew up here in Utah and they were growing it in the ditch or they were growing <laughs> yeah. it in the mountains. <laughs> right. Yes. They were over at premium. Right. Yeah, right. What's I his mean, face? yeah. Yeah. And uh, we so it, it's been here the whole time. Absolutely. Right. And getting to know people like humanizing the people's use of cannabis. Hey, this has been around a long time. We've been using it for this, the same stuff we're using it for today. Right. We were using it for 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. And here you are, right? You're you, how did the doctors, did you, were you open okay, and honest? So with here's this? the curious thing with my doctors. Right directly after my surgery, they had put me on, I believe it was oxycodone or oxy. Yeah, Percocet, oxycontin, oh. oxycodone. So yeah, I mean, I did it for years. I came right? home and I was absolutely sick. I could not. Came home from? The, from the hospital. Okay. On those prescriptions. And they said, do not let this pain get ahead of her or oh, no. she'll be in trouble because of the mastectomy. And it was a major surgery. Oh no, we're, I've been involved in these surgeries in general surgery. We've, we've had breast surgeons that have come in and they do these big bilateral surgeries. It is, it's heinous to yeah, say the least. It's so, a bloody mess. It's yes. extremely painful for the patients. Yes. You're really just tearing the skin apart, taking all that tissue out. Scrubbing and then just, it down. And yeah. I mean, it, I can imagine and then you're just trying the things. to <laughs> trying to like let it heal. Yes. You know, on its own. It's pretty bad. So when I got home from the hospital, the first couple of days, of course, you know, my family, my boyfriend, bless his heart. He was dosing me every four hours. He's writing it down, making sure. And I was so sick that not only could I not stay awake, which was probably a good thing, but every time I was awake, I was like heaving, like I would heave and dry heave. 
So it was about the third day in. I said, absolutely not. I can't take this. I'll take ibuprofen. I'll take anything but these narcotics that are making me this sick. I ended up cracking a rib from throwing up. That's just after my surgery. So when I went back to the doctor's office, I just explained to to him, I can't do this. They tried a couple of different things, Lortab, Percocet. It's all the same for me. Same things happen. Some are worse. But I just told him, I'm good. Just prescribe me some ibuprofen 800. I'm good. I'll go home and I'll just handle it. (laughs) They looked at me like, okay. And at that point I was scared. I was scared to say, okay, so I have a backup plan and little, you know, to you guys not knowing cannabis is my backup and it's working. So I just need some ibuprofen. It took me probably six or seven months into treatment before I finally looked at my oncologist and he said, I don't know how you're doing this. I had nerve impingements. I had frozen shoulder. I mean, it just went through the gamut of all the things that come with surgery and being immobile and, you know, then starting the chemotherapy. Right. You've got to get through the surgery. You've got to recover from the surgery to a certain point before you start chemo. Correct. Right. I mean, I think it's important for people to understand that too, because your immune system is not functioning really well. You don't heal as well with this big cancer in your body. So they, they do the surgery first and then they have to let the body heal enough to start the chemo because the wounds won't heal if you start chemo too early. Yes. So I think I went four weeks in between my first surgery and then I started chemo. So within that four weeks, I took those pain pills maybe three days after and then the rest of the time I used cannabis and it was a heavy cannabis use. And I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, How it heavy? Was, like what are we talking? Ounce I'd a week or, or two ounces a week or what? Probably a couple of ounces a week. Nice. And it was keeping things at bay. Um, I wasn't able to really get up and move around. Um, I wasn't quite mobile yet. So that was hard, but yeah. it kept the nausea down. The pain Actually, it took the edge off the pain enough to where ibuprofen worked to where I wasn't losing my mind with pain. That was the most excruciating thing I've ever experienced. Even now, I still have a lot of residual pain from it. But wow. Wow. (laughs) So Yeah, that's a lot of pain. Now, this this was back in 2019, you said, right? Correct. And... You're, you're just recently, well, you got your medical card here in Utah. You said pretty much right when it's 2019, we could, did you have a provider that wrote you a letter? I did not. I couldn't find one. I had talked to a couple of my doctors and my one doctor, bless his heart. He's still my doctor. I love him to death. He hasn't dropped you, huh? He hasn't said, get out of here, pot smoker. No, (laughs) but he said, I'm sorry. It's, it's a gray area in Utah. I'm not sure I want to put my name on the line with this at this point because- interesting. I don't know. He says, I don't agree with opioid use and stuff like that. I'm very careful of what I prescribe to my patients. He said, but cannabis, that's opening a whole nother. Now this doctor, mind you, back in the day, I'm sure back in college, I'm sure he had experiences. So it's not that he was closed minded, but he was afraid, afraid to say, I'll give you a letter. Right. It's, Right. It's extremely common even now, right? I don't have, I don't know if I'm covered malpractice wise. I don't know if I, you know, I don't, I don't want the legal liability. I don't know anything about it. So how can I prescribe or recommend something that I really don't know how you can use? Yes. And then there's the, then there's the answer. There's no evidence to support it. Well, I don't know. That's, that's not true. But And my doctor wasn't 
didn't take the stand of there's no evidence to, you know, prove that cannabis is helpful. I think it was more of his fear in the community of being a doctor and, you know, giving someone a letter saying, yes, I recommend that this person use cannabis. Since that time, he's totally cool with it. He knows he monitors, you know, and he's like, how's your pain? Every doctor that I have on my panel, which is about six of them from the oncologist to the radiologist, all of them at the top of my file, every single one of them says, do not offer gabapentin. I've refused it for 18 months. I'm not going to start it now, even though I had severe like neuropathy and I've got severe nerve entrapment pain that comes and goes. I never know where it's going to be, but. So when you're using cannabis after surgery, you're using it through chemo, you're, you're really just only smoking. Yes. And the reason why I smoked is because I couldn't get out of a chair. I could barely get myself to the bathroom, you know, make myself something to eat. So I basically would roll a 20 pack of joints and I would smoke them all day long yeah. until I could just fade back and deal with, I did like, I, I call it mind trickery. A lot of people will call it meditation or, you know, praying or however you spiritually connect. But that was my mainstay. I cannabis and man, I did a lot of praying like to the universe, you know, that's kind of my gig. I'm a spiritual gangster. So but the cannabis, I don't think I would have made it without it. Did you do any edibles, nothing, no tinctures, anything like that? Huh? Actually, once I started feeling better, um, I started chemo. That's okay. a whole nother situation. Yeah, that because, happened. okay. And before we get to the chemo, I just want to, there's, there's the pain and then there's the suffering and the THC and the, the cannabis isn't really controlling the pain. It's putting the pain over there. Yes. It doesn't control it but neither do opioids. Opioids, my doctor said, work on something in your brain. It doesn't work on the pain. Cause right. I was like, you guys have got me wiped, absolutely wiped, throwing up. I can't think, I can't keep conversations going on these drugs that you've given me, but why am I in so much pain? I mean, the pain was nothing I've ever experienced, nor would I ever want to experience again. But describe that a little bit, how, because I think that's where people get misinformed that it's going to take away your pain. And so they don't have a good experience with cannabis or how is it working for you exactly? And maybe that's a bad question because it just, it's different, right? It's different than the Percocet. Absolutely different. Um, I could smoke a joint and be absolutely fine, carry on a conversation, keep my mind together and be in less pain. I take opioids and I cannot function, period. Like I have conversations that people come back and say, do you remember that conversation we had? And I was like, no. And I never want to have one like that again. Like I don't like that out of body feeling. I like to be in control. And some people call it stoned or, oh, you're going to get stoned and do all these terrible things. That's never been the case for me. Um, I've always been high functioning. I've always kept a job. I've always worked my butt off. You know, I own a home. I mean, I've always been super responsible. So tell me, you know, that I'm a stoner that, you know, I had a lot of family and stuff come up and friends that would say, God, you know, I'm like the wow, day that I don't a lot of weed here. Yes. Like they're worried about you <laughs> yes. because you're smoking a lot or that, of weed. Oh, you shouldn't be smoking daily or, you know, whatever their reasoning <laughs> like was. Like I have, I have stage three breast cancer. You're a drug uh, addict. Bro. Yeah. Right. And, you know, a lot of my friends were blown away that I was actually able to function through just using cannabis. Got it. So. Okay. Now, now see, this is, 
This is key, right? To people understanding. It doesn't take away your pain completely, but it will make it manageable and it dulls the pain. Um, You know, as long as you're getting the right dosage and you know what's working for you, I could keep the pain under control to where I wasn't in agony and in tearful chaos all day. Right. It's, it's putting the pain aside. It's disassociating yes. you from the pain enough that you can concentrate on a conversation. Yes. That you can take a little nap. Yes. Right. That mm-hmm. you can eat something. And that was huge for me. I wasn't eating. I had no appetite. I don't know if it was more from the surgery, but it just, it was rough. I had no appetite. And then of course you get sick when you don't eat. So, I mean, I was drinking Ensure and protein shakes and different things, just trying to replenish some of that. But when I would smoke, I was able to eat a little something. Give you the munchies. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I really counted on that because um, at first I had lost quite a bit of weight after my surgery. And, you know, I was concerned that I would rather have a little meat on my bones to fight this cancer than some of the people I would see in the chemo rooms. And I would be like, man, you don't have a fighting chance in hell you're already thin. Like there's not much to take away from you. Sure. And then you go into chemo and what's that? What was that like? It was scary. It was very scary. So my mom, towards the end of her treatment, she was in the hospital three days before she died. They gave her one dose of red devil, adromycin, and she died three days later. So, I mean, it just really took over her body and just didn't work. She was already on her way out, but that just kind of compounded, compounded everything. So going into the chemo, knowing that I had to do the red devil and it was six weeks, I was scared to death. Um, I had to cut off 13 inches of my long blonde hair. That was traumatizing. And then I buzzed my hair because they said within two weeks, it's right on the 14th day, all your hair is going to fall out. And I was like, "Mm -hmm." no, it was 14 days and it was gone. So not only going through the physical changes, um, the mental anguish from those physical changes, but then you're sick on top of that and pain. So, you know, for anyone out there that's going through those types of situations, the only thing I could do is use cannabis to kind of keep my mind where it wasn't overwhelmed to the point where I couldn't heal myself or at least function enough to think I might have a fighting chance, you know, so that was, and I smoked a lot. I mean, I was going through, I had someone that would roll me packs of joints, like a cigarette pack. They'd fill it up for me and just leave it every couple of days. And if I still had some great, they'd come roll more just so I always had it on hand. So that was huge to me. Um, And then when the laws passed in Utah and it could only be vaped, you know, I had to move over and transition once I got my card. That's been a hard transition, but. Yeah, I can, I mean, I can imagine, right? Because you grew up smoking. Yes. So my tolerance is extremely high. Um, do you ever take breaks? I do. And yeah. you know, it, I don't, people say it's the gateway drug. It's addictive. I've never had a problem taking a break from it whatsoever. Really? It might be a little edgy because sure. I don't have that calming sense to me, but it's not like, Oh gosh, if I don't smoke, I'm going to hurt people or I'm going to rob still and beat people up, you know? Well, I just can't sleep very well. That's, that's the thing I run into. Yeah. And I have a little irritable. I have insomnia all the time anyways, even with us, with the smoking or use now, I don't know exactly where that comes from. So it it doesn't even knock you out at night, huh? No. Really? Mm -hmm. You're like Chrissy. 
Okay. Yeah, just cruising on. There is one thing though. I bought a magical butter machine, the magic butter yeah, machine. Yeah, how's that working for you? I absolutely love that thing. Okay, <laughs> so let's hear the review. Let's, I've let's made about tinctures. It. I've made butters. I've made oils. And when I was going through the different things, I used the actual tincture oils that I made for salve. I used it on okay. my mm-hmm. wounds after they had healed enough to where I was in a safe zone. I started using it as a salve too. And I, I think personally that those oils absorbed through my skin and helped with some of that pain, especially the nerve pain that was going I'm on. I'm sure they did. Yeah. yeah so, I'm sure they did. Um, I did find with that magic butter machine, once I learned how to make it, decarbox, you know, everything, yeah. go through the process. I never could really quite dose, like know how much was going in there or whatever, but I would make baked goods and they worked like a charm. Like I could eat a half a cookie and, you know, be totally good to go. Like I had smoked a full joint and off I go. So there were different times that I had to use baked goods as well. You know, rather than just smoking, I would eat a little bit like of a banana bread at night just to kind of help give me that little extra so that I could hopefully sleep for at least a couple of hours. My sleeping's kind of gotten back on track. I sleep about five hours a night now. Are you still using that machine? Is it still working oh, for absolutely. you? Just because I know that we, well, we had the Levo too, but it broke two times on us. Yeah. The magic butter machine seems like it's a little bit yeah. more robust. Yeah. Like it machine. has, yeah, I've never had any problems with it. Um, it works great. I've used it <laughs> several plenty. times. Yeah. I've used it <laughs> plenty to know that it's a good product. You know, uh, Chris Whitner is the guy who founded the, the company and the product. When I was down in Florida a summer before, I was like, oh, you're the magic butter guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, wow, from Utah. And I was like, yeah. So who would have figured, right? You know, and all the things with cannabis. I mean, being a hippie, whatever, over all these years, I can't say that it's never just been for recreational because I enjoyed it. Um, but when I came down with the breast cancer and found that the medicinal could really help me, I think it helped me all along. I just didn't realize that it was helping me to that magnitude. Yeah. Did you go back and look over your cannabis use over the years and realize, wow, I've been using this as medicine the whole time? Absolutely. Um, I've been diagnosed with PTSD three different times over 25 years. Uh, The first one was when my husband was killed by a drunk driver. Um, I've had a lot of really weird situations. Anyways, neither here nor there. I think that I self-medicated all those years because I couldn't take antidepressants and I didn't want to be wiped on Valium or Xanax. I had a full-time job. I had a kid to raise. I didn't have time to mess around. I've always paid my own bills. always been super responsible. So it's hard to admit back then that I was that heavy of a pot user, you know, because people would judge me and be like, oh, I'm like, but if you didn't know me and you met me, you'd never guess. Now, would you? And, but it probably would have been okay if you would have been that heavy of a drinker, you know, you know, a bottle much. a week. It's not that big a deal. Cause it's okay because and it's legal. That's frightening to me. Yeah. Um, nothing good ever came from a bottle for me. I have the same intolerance to alcohol as I do to opioids. Every time I've drank, I've got myself into really bad situations and things have happened, you know, where you just go, wow, was I really there? You know, and I don't like that out of control feeling never have. I can smoke weed and I can go (laughs) skydiving. I can go hiking. I can go swimming. I can go kayaking. I can do whatever I want. And the memory's there. I'm not going to go, wow, what happened? And did I make an ass of myself? Blackout. Right. Right. So 
for me, I believe that I've been self-medicating all these years for different reasons, um, avoiding antidepressants and the different things that are so heavily prescribed in Utah. You know, you go to your doctor and say, I'm feeling kind of blue. And they're like, oh, here, have some Prozac. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. You know, is this a situation that's at hand or is this long term? Is it bipolar? Is it, you know, they're just too quick to write out a prescription for an antidepressant. Yeah. Do you have have a favorite strain? Um, I do. Sour diesel is a good one for me. Um, Just a straight sativa. I absolutely love sativas. Um, I'm not a big indica fan, but we know, everybody knows now everything's pretty hybrid. But my preference has always been sativa. And it's because I am kind of loud and obnoxious and I've always got a lot of energy and I'm outgoing, talk to everybody, but it's just always been my go-to for preference. The sativas for sure. When it switched and you could get it here in Utah, I mean, do you feel like that the system has worked for you? Absolutely not, unfortunately. So, I mean, 2019, you have cancer, you go through the surgery, you're using cannabis for the pain, you go through chemo, you're using cannabis for the, I mean, really as medicine at that point, right? Using a lot of it, smoking it, started to make some edibles with the magic butter machine. And you're, you're having to get it from wherever, right? Yes. Unfortunately. You have to have a lot of people helping, right? At that level of consumption, I mean, it's probably going to take, it takes a pretty serious commitment to keep you, um, yes, it does. And that's hard because, um, my first trip to the pharmacy, which I did a little review on my Instagram, you know what? They were great over there. It was grand opening. The place is nice. It's beautifully decorated. But bottom line is, is when I left there and got home and opened my package of product that I had spent close to $300 on, I was furious. I went back down to the pharmacy and said, I know you can't do refunds, but let me tell you a little something. I've been doing this for a long time and you sold me popcorn, bud that is absolutely disintegrates. It just turns into dust, Um, smokes real fast, isn't very flavorful, but bottom line, it doesn't do me much good for what I need. Now, my tolerance is not their problem. So say someone's coming in new, maybe that product would be okay for them. But as somebody who's been familiar with it for years, I've been around grows, I've been in almost every aspect of cannabis that there could be. And to see what was coming out on the market, I was I was appalled. I was like, Utah, get it together. Yeah, you're you're not alone. And I think that like this isn't coming from you being a connoisseur of cannabis or somebody who's who just has been into it their whole life. This is just because you have been somewhat of a user, Correct. in my opinion. You're not even, you know, we're not talking about you going to Colorado and, and becoming a grower and then coming here and complaining. We're just talking about you being a patient. Correct. You being a normal medical patient who just requires us better than average, right? A bigger than average supply yes. of a better than average product. I think that the supply that they're allowing in Utah, that's great. If someone can afford it. Um, the cost of what I paid for in that store lasted me a week and a half. And I was like, I can't do that. $300 a week. You're going to break the bank. I'm not working. I have medical bills. I mean, these cancer treatments were costing me $10,000 for the aftershot. You know, so I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I've got to be frugal here. So it was, it was tough for me because I'm like, how do you stretch it that far? 
Um, I also got two vape carts. Um, the carts were cloudy. I did a review on that and the manufacturer actually reached out to me and tried to make it right. And they said, we don't even know how to take care of this because you can't return the product. We can't give you product to replace it. Mm-hmm. So we're really sorry that this happened, but basically you're shit out of luck. And I was like, you know what? $65 a cart, uh, not happening. Mm-hmm. So I had to steer away from that, you know, and what do you do when your medicine is costing you that much when opioids are on the market for two and $3, you can go fill a 60 pill bottle. You know, it's just like, that's been really tough for me to swallow here because cannabis should be regulated. Absolutely. I believe it should stay in the medicinal, you know, for patients, if it goes recreational, that kind of shifts gears, but it needs to be affordable. How has that evolved for you over the course of now we're a little over a year in is it better? The same? Do you still? Well, the prices I mean, are still the same. The prices right? are still the same. We're recording this on the last day you can legally have out-of-state product. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I mean, so smoke this it, releases smoke it all tonight, right? right this smoke releases it. on, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, July second. This and will be released, we will yeah. not, as of the release, we will not be able to have out-of-state product in Utah or purchase out-of-state product here. Right. Uh, what? How do you feel about that? Um, I'm leaving. She's on the road, man. I'm going She's on the road for a year. And I do plan on spending a lot of time in the cannabis friendly states. Um, you know, it's, it's hard in Utah. I would love to say that, you know, I'd love to stay here and grow and get really into that because, you know, I think it could be a niche for me, but by the same token, I'm stifled by the regulations. You know, you're not able to use flame. I'm sorry, but all these vape products that I've spent money on a G pen pro, it didn't work. Took it back. The guy said, Oh, I'll give you another one. It didn't work. So then I moved over and bought a different one. It worked for two weeks and then blew up. Um, I went camping. I was so mad. I went camping. I had my flower. I had my vape and guess what happened? It didn't work. I spent two days up in the mountains and I ended up using a Coke can and poking holes in it and smoking it like a teenager. <laughs> and, and you know what? Those work so and good. And you know what? Those I work. had it to. Work. It was that or go home. Because yeah. I couldn't right, get the medication could, and right. I was starting to get the pains that, you know, the kind that bring tears to your eyes and they're debilitating at different times for me. So to get up there and be in fear that the park ranger is going to come and if I'm smoking a joint, I'm in trouble. Right. You we know had what a, I mean? We, yeah. We've run into this with patients who've got tickets for joints now. Right. You know? and, and that's tough because I try to consume at home only. But if I'm on the road and I'm legally allowed to vape it, then I should be able to legally go off where the smokers are or wherever and do what I need to do to medicate and then move on with my day. Um, I do understand, you know, being a parent, I wouldn't want to walk through a situation, you know, out in public with my kids and have them smell it and see people over there smoking and thinking, oh, you know, they're druggies or, you know, just exposing them to that side of it. They'll be exposed eventually, usually by sixth grade. They've been exposed. Most of them have tried it or they have friends that are doing it at that age. So that's a tough one for me. I, you know. Yeah. People who don't think your sixth grader or their sixth grader has been exposed to it are not. There's good surveys. There's actually good data to support that. Right. And I believe being open. I've always been open with my kids. I, you know, they know. My daughter has always known. Um, so I think it's best to be open with your children, but educate them. 
you know, that it's not just to go get high or, you know, you go out and get high with your friends. Um, there are legitimate reasons for cannabis. And I think that goes way back to the beginning of time. People have used it for eons for that purpose. So I think education is huge, especially for the generation coming up. You know, you don't want them to think that it's a gateway drug to heroin or that always blew my mind that they would even put those two together. You know, it's a gateway drug. You're going to end up. No, man, I've, I've smoked cannabis for years. I don't do meth. I'm not a crackhead. I don't take opioids. I mean, I'm not a drinker. <laughs> it didn't make you one day wake up and say, gosh, I want to do some heroin, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, or if I couldn't get my yeah. marijuana, you know, what yeah. was I going to do? Go out and get a fit? No. <laughs> so I think that the education needs to be there. And I've seen it work miracles with children, children that are autistic, that have different things going on, a seizure disorder. There was a little girl that I followed her story and it blew my mind. And these people ended up moving out of state because they were like, we can't get it here. I mean, they moved out of Utah, but what it did for this little girl was absolutely amazing, phenomenal. And as a parent of a child that's that sick, even if you've never experienced cannabis or your LDS or your religion or your social circles don't agree, there is a basis to the medical you know, use of it. So I think education is huge. What would you tell somebody uh, who's listening that might be on the fence? You know, they're like, might be a little apprehensive about trying cannabis. They've never, never vaped it, never smoked it, nothing, but they, but they have a similar story as you do. What would you tell them? Honestly, I would try to give them, inform them, give them information, let them make their own decision. Would you rather be wiped out on Oxycontin or be able to ingest a little bit of cannabis and get the same effect, if not better for pain. Yeah. And you know, the stigma that comes with it, that's huge. I think that's the worst part of it for people. I have a friend whose mother who recently passed away. She came to me and she said, Vanessa, I know that you have the magic butter machine. Help me. I don't want my mom high. I don't need, she needs to be able to eat. She had COPD really bad. So what happened is I ended up making her butter. I donated this butter to this 85 year old woman. Guess what? She was up and moving. She'd get out of her chair. She'd go outside and go for little walks and stuff. And she said that she couldn't go without the edibles at that point. And I was like, this poor woman, she's been religious her whole life. She's got COPD. She's never smoked. And here she is using cannabis and she likes it and it works for her and it's keeping her alive and happy. So information I think is the biggest part to get out to people, try it. If it doesn't work for you, that's, that's great. But I would much rather see somebody try cannabis than opioids or end up with a huge addiction. And you know, that's scary to me. Absolutely. Too many people yeah. have ended up on the wrong side for me Yeah, using opioids. So yeah, that's what I think we, we still need to work on is that idea that it is, it's a choice, right? It's just another choice. You can try this, you can try benzos, you can try cannabis, you can try opioids, you can, right? Right. Just lay it all out there. Here's the risks, here's the benefit, but it's, it's just another tool and it's okay to try it. I really wish that physicians could take a better stance and be more educated as well, because when they're giving these patients, these opioids and starting these addictions, that yes, I'll get you over this hump, but what happens in a year from now when these people are so strung out that they're doing committing crimes to get their drugs? You know what I mean? So if a doctor could say, hey, I do prescribe opioids, but 
have you ever thought about using cannabis? It might help you in ways, you know, but that just isn't a topic of discussion for most physicians. Hopefully that Not changes soon. Yeah. I sure hope you know, so. When, when, especially when, when the whole descheduling and. Right. I mean, there's so much information now about this descheduling movement and moving the federal legislation along so that we can have these, like we can talk about it more openly. It seems to us, though, I think, and probably you too, that everybody around us is talking about weed, talking about cannabis. We're correct. But we, we live in this world. Right. We, we live Actually, in the weed bubble. We, live, we kind of live I, in the weed bubble. If we have magnetism to other people, but this is a funny thing. Um, in the last 15 years, you meet people every day, right? The majority of people that I met smoked. And I'm like, wow, like you would never guess that you smoked. Like they wouldn't guess I smoke. So it's out there. It's just that stupid stigma that comes along with it. You know, it being what a class one. Or yeah. It's a schedule one. Schedule one drug like heroin. I'm like, what? Yeah. So, I mean, the stigma that comes with it, not only for patients, physicians, just people in general, you know, I'm hoping that this is opening it wide open so that people can make that choice and maybe have better success and not end up, excuse me, on the streets. You know, um, we had a really good family friend who suffered something, some kind of surgery, went through that, ended up hooked on opioids and he ended up getting shot by the police in an attempt to satisfy his cravings for his habit. And how sad is that? He left behind five kids and his wife, you know, and he was still in pain. So what good came from that? Absolutely none. It devastated and destroyed a family over a very short period of time, maybe two or three years of his becoming addicted to these opioids and not being able to get, you know, he got cut off from the pain clinic. What do you do at that point? Yeah, Try cannabis. I guess. Still a right. lot of work to do. Absolutely. I think cannabis though, I'm, I'm so happy that it's more of a conversation piece these days and that people are seeing the benefits of it, not just, you know, your old hippies or stoners or whatever. It has its place. Sure. Now talk about your, uh, so you're going on this journey. Yes. I mean, it's really not a trip. This is a journey. This is an absolute healing journey. Right. So the name of my motorhome happens to be the journey. It's journey. Journey. There the you figure. go. <laughs> and you do this. You do this art that is a lot of it is cannabis themed. Yes. Right? There are these. There are these big circular mandala type. Correct. What I do. Well, this is how it all began. I sat in a reclining chair for four months trying to recover. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't wash my hair. Couldn't. You know. Couldn't do dishes. Feed myself. And as I was sitting there, my boyfriend kept saying, why don't you do, why don't you pick up your wire, jewelry wiring again, you know, do something. So you're not just sitting here. Um, I wasn't able to wire jewelry anymore. The neuropathy was so bad from chemo that my fingers don't work. So then I was like, wow, I had a lazy Susan piece of wood, a 15 inch piece of wood sitting on the top end of my counter. One day I looked at it and said, huh, I'm going to paint that. And I did. And the funny thing is, is I did a bunch of pot leaves, you know, just being my weird hippie self and Everybody that saw it was like, wow, hey, I want one of those. And so it kind of turned into this thing where it was an outlet for me to stay creative, but to help kind of shift the troubles that were coming with the cancer, you know, loss of my job and loss of relationships and loss of body parts and my hair and all these different things. So I pretty much put my energy to that art and I was giving it away like, um, I don't do just weed art, but that's kind of my favorite one. And I don't know if it's 
was my frame of mind at the time. And they just legalized and I just got my med card in Utah and I thought, why not? So that's how that started. And it just kind of carried over from there. Um, I think that's what I'm going to do. I would love to hit, you know, 420. I don't know if I want to do Colorado or Washington, wherever I end up. But I believe that I can sell my art, but it comes with a message for me. Because look what I have done through the worst of the worst and the damage that the chemo did to me. I can still be creative. So that's been huge for me. It's been a great outlet. That's awesome. Such an inspirational story. Such nice. an inspirational. I mean, at least for me, hopefully others. Yeah, find, me too. I mean, you, know, you have gone your, all the way through your, the story of the things that have happened to you, the things that have happened with you um, and through you are just unbelievable. It's, it's really inspiring. It's been a journey for sure, but now I'm going on the healing journey. So I plan to continue to use cannabis. I'll probably be the granny on the porch where all the grandkids come over and go, grandma smokes weed. <laughs> and you know Here's what? Here's my grandma. That's okay because it doesn't change me as a person. I've always been the same person, you know? And so for people, when I went through the cancer, it was quite the eye opener. Um, a lot of people turned on me, like they didn't want to talk to me or deal with me. And some of that has to do with cancer, but a lot of it had to do with my cannabis use because everybody's like, oh, I don't, don't bring her around my kids. Long, you know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but that doesn't change me as a person. You liked me before. And guess what? I was stoned then too. So <laughs> really? Um, so I, I'm a cannabis definite connoisseur and I use it now more medicinally. And I'm glad that Utah and all these people like you guys doing your podcast, I learned so much and there's so much more information on terpenes and all the things that have always interested me, but they were so deep into the scientific side of it. That everybody's like, yeah, it's just weed, you know? Right. And then the heavier strains would come up and different things. It's fascinating to me. And especially because it comes from the earth. And I believe that God intended it to be used as a medicine period. Yeah. It's, it's definitely here for a reason for right. sure. And it does sound like you've, you have become much more intentional about your use yes, over this whole process I than think you were much before. more intentional. And I've had kind of an epiphany that all those years that I was treating different things from depression to PTSD, um, fibromyalgia, the different things that I had going on just from day to day, stressful life. And I didn't realize that I was medicating myself until now all of this stuff has come up and people are really delving into what makes it work? How does it work through your body and the different systems? Now back to this journey, are you going to be documenting any of it on like Instagram? I am going to yeah. vlog everything. Oh, um, awesome. I'm not, I'm not really down with taking selfies and stuff. That's sure, kind of not sure. my thing. So I've got to get into this video. Cause I was going to say situation. our listeners should connect with you somehow. Like what's the best oh, yeah, way we'll to follow up. We'll definitely follow along. That would be okay. awesome. Um, I have bluntness in Utah on Instagram and I also have my uniqueness creations, which is my art page. Um, and then from there, I think I'll probably start doing TikToks, YouTubes because not only am I going on a healing journey and I'm going to smoke a lot, but I'm going to make it fun and I'm going to go do the things that, could have been snuffed out for me a year ago. So, so before awesome. I get too old or I can't, I never want to be in a position where my body doesn't work like that again, because it was frightening. 
You know, I thought there was many times when I laid there in the middle of the night and thought, wow, dude, like I'm on my way out. Like I'm going to die from this shit, and, you know, but I made it through and I smoked a lot of weed to get there. <laughs> so. Well, you deserve all the happiness and success in all of your, in your trip, your journey, your art, everything. Well, I would appreciate if people follow along and learn something, learn with me. You know, if you've got things to share, that's great. I love it. Um, I always say that I'm happy to support different cannabis businesses, um, the CBD. I mean, all different cannabis businesses. I will support them along the road. Also support their products and sales. So I'm looking forward to it. And I have a feeling that when I get back from this journey, I'm going to be completely cancer free. And I think I'll be able to decide what my next career move is going to be. And it's not back into the finance business. So, <laughs> well, if you make it back to Utah, well, even if you don't make it back to Utah, we can even do a phone interview. I think yeah, it'd be absolutely. fun, like a year or something to catch up with you. Yep. You, know? you know, it would be great. And I actually plan on going and seeing lots of different, every place that has cannabis, Okay, um, from pharmacies to dispensaries to whatever festivals, I'll be there. You should start your own little podcast on the road or something. I, yeah, maybe I should. You know, and you can like interview and talk to people along the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I wanted to, my boyfriend's just not down, but I said, what if my trailer, this 28 foot behemoth of a trailer, it's really sweet dragster ride. What if I have everybody put cannabis stickers on it along the way? And he's like, no, <laughs> I get pulled over pretty quickly. Huh? I'll not only get pulled yeah. over, but Don't go it kind of wrecks the trailer. And he's like, no. <laughs> and he said, you can do whatever you want on the inside. And I've already started, um, all of the places I've been in Ogden, OG can or, throughout the Valley, OG cannabis products. Um, I've got stickers, I've got all kinds of stuff. And of course I'm going to promote them because I've been in there. I've got to know people. They've provided me with information along the way. It's been great. That's awesome. Any final questions you want to ask her, Tim, before we wrap this episode up, anything you want to talk about before we wrap this episode up? Nope. Just no judgments, guys. No, no judgments. <laughs> this is a judgment-free zone. I mean, that's the thing with this podcast is, is I'm going to oh, say it now. No, dude. you guys are cool. I'm oh, talking okay. about like oh, my family. Yeah, oh, your family. Because okay. here it comes, right? I love you right? anyways, but whatever. Okay. It is. <laughs> hey, you this know what? is great though. This a- is good you for you. Know, you got one life. Live it the best way you know how. I mean, that's really all you can do is, is what you know, you know. You it's know, YOLO. So. Exactly. YOLO. Yeah. Haven't heard that for a while. That's right. How can, um, how can people find out more about the podcast, Tim? I'm going to let you kind of, as we wrap this episode up. This podcast and all of our other podcasts are on utahmarijuana.org slash podcast. You can join the community, reach out to Chris or I uh, on that website, or you can reach Chris on his other podcast, Chris at IamSaltLake.com. Be sure to check that out. Uh, it, we we're with you every Friday. Every coming Friday, out at yeah, subs- 4.20 in the morning. Subscribe and listen and share. And uh, if you have ideas, send them our way. Absolutely. I'm Stay always there at 4.20 a.m., so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Nice. Thanks, guys. You bet.